This is a Brain Bites episode. Each week, we share two things we learned the past week and how you can implement them in your life. So, let's get into it. And welcome back to another episode of Brain Bites. Brain Bites episode nine. Very excited for this one this week. Kieran, how are you, my friend? I'm all right, mate. Uh, as you know, knocked for oh, six a little bit. A sigh. I yeah. know, it was a big sigh. I, you know, got the second vaccine, uh, sorry, second jab, which I'm very, Ooh. very happy about, which is good. He's vaxxed. I am. I am vaxxed. Uh, my vaxxed. Singapore app tells me that I am as well. They've really got this on uh, uh, running a tight ship. Have they got a passport? Uh, not, not a passport, like kind mm. of, but like it's part of the safe entry stuff. So you can like actually yeah. check in QR codes, etc. But it says mine's in progress. So I've got to wait 14 Ooh. days and then I'm officially vaxxed. And then <laughs> here we are. Yeah. How are you, mate? Little- How are you? Post-vax celebration. Uh, not vaxxed, unlike you, waiting uh, for access to Pfizer, which will hopefully be soon. But otherwise going pretty well, learning things, discovering new things. And speaking of- we always- We just love a segue, don't we? We do. We do. We love a cheeky seg. Uh, what did you what did you read this week, mate? Or what did you watch? Or what did you listen to that you discovered? There's a quote I re-encountered, and it's, one person suffering is horrible- but 1 million people suffering is statistics. Mm. And don't know if it's attributed to Stalin or Mother Teresa, but the overarching idea is our brains don't interpret statistics or numbers. They interpret stories and stories usually about one person we can relate to. Yeah, I so I've got sorry, I was about to start pissing myself because you had Stalin or Mother Teresa. It's really two ends of the spectrum. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's a bit of contrast there. There's a bit of contrast there. Um, um, so I think that makes sense as well, right? Because I think the magnitude um, you know, of something is always in the story and the nature of it. Like again, that's how people, a lot of people advertise. What are some examples of this? So I'm thinking specifically in terms of the way people, you know, promote ideas or marketing or charities, for example. So often are these institutions pushing out, you know, 700 million people don't have water this year or, you know, 20 million people in East India are suffering from food shortages, which are horrible, horrible statistics, but people just don't feel them. They don't interpret them the same way as they would a single story about uh, a child suffering or a single story about someone who didn't have access to water or a single story about someone struggle with mental health versus the statistics over what percentage of the population struggles with their mental health. And so the idea is that when we hear a good story, our brain synchronizes with the same patterns of neuroactivation as the characters in that story. We start to reactivate, we, we activate our brain in the same way those characters would, uh, but it's character centric. So we can only really transport into one character in, in a narrative at a time. And stats don't allow us this transportation, which means when people use big numbers and stats to make a point, you're in presentations, you're really cutting off uh, the pathway to connecting with people, which is through narrative and through story. Yeah, that's it's a really it's a really interesting point that you raise, which is like show, tell. But the main thing is showing and telling from a concentrated perspective, which is who's the individual's story. And that could be representative of the statistics because you always want to face behind a movement or, or a statistic. So for you, how would you go about applying this in your life? Um, I'm just trying to think through. I love that you said uh, put a face behind it because I was reading a book uh, on storytelling and one of the quotes was put a face to a case. Mm. And it's, it's this catchy. idea that, yeah, very catchy that you should really be attaching a face and a person and a story to your ideas. So how do you apply this? Well, everyone will go through 
you know, life and have to do presentations of some sort, whether that's through to colleagues or if you're a student in school or you're making sales pitches. And our natural tendency is to gravitate towards statistics because we think, you know, big numbers, convincing, you know, big numbers. I'm going to show people just <laughs> just the magnitude of this problem or just the magnitude of of the returns they can get if they they buy this product or the results. When really it would probably be much more effective if you told a story of one person first. So an example might be if you're giving a sales presentation, if you told a really, really engaging customer story that was relevant to the person you're presenting to. If you're giving a, a, a presentation in school about a particular topic, if you manage to find a story that you could tie the topic to, you're going to make it much more engaging than talking about the exact number of uh, trees felled in the Amazonian rainforest over the last two to three quarters, and that's contribution to uh, global climate change. Because the idea is that the story of one is much more compelling than the statistics of a million. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense and aligns so much with the as you said the neuroscience, which is like narrative bias we talk about a lot. Yeah, but absolutely, I, I don't think we necessarily apply it sincerely. Um, which is, you know, the person, the story. We talk about the hero's journey a lot of the time, but you get bought into that person and they become representative, as you said, of of the larger picture. So basically what you're saying is be mindful of just chucking massive statistics out when you're looking to persuade. It's all good to say $1 million, $1 million people, um, but be mindful of the person behind the story because we personify things, we humanize things, we anthropomorphize things. And so if you want to tell a story, tell a story about one person and then trace it to the many. Absolutely. And I would even say beyond just persuading, if you're wanting to present information in a way that engages people, remember stories over stats. Mm. Uh, so speaking of learning this week, that's kind of what I rediscovered. And it, it's something I already knew, but in the context that I was listening to, I thought mm, I should remember to do that more often because, you know, you think about some of the best TED speeches you've ever heard and they are always just driven by story, usually a personal narrative from the one giving it. But on the other hand, what did you discover this week? So besides binge watching a bunch of Netflix while I was recovering, I yes. did manage to Lovely. take like a that. cheeky peek at a few things. But I was scrolling through Instagram, scrolling through Facebook, and recently, I don't know if you've found this, but a lot of my mates are getting married. And a lot of my mates, I'm like, when I say a lot, a few are starting to have kids. And I had this really weird pressure build up. I felt like, what? What's going on? I don't know if you've had that, Sam. For me, I was like, there's this pressure to potentially mm. do this, if that makes sense. Um, to totally makes sense. And I then was like, okay, this is social proof. I get this, but it's like a very specific type. And I looked up bandwagon. We, we see this with the sports teams, the bandwagon effect, which is we adopt certain behaviors or beliefs because many other people do the same. And it really resonated with me because I was sitting there being like, okay, I've heard this bandwagon. And fun fact for you, by the way, it came from 1848 from a guy called Zachary Taylor's US campaign, who was a president. No way. And quite literally, I just I, I want to understand the etymology of this stuff. A clown invited him to join the circus bandwagon, quite literally. And Taylor received recognition and now was that cause coined jump on the bandwagon, which is why he sort of won the, the presidential race at that time. Fun fact for you. But um, yeah, that's Very where I'm at fact. at the moment. Bandwagon effect. The bandwagon effect, it's so easy and so insidious. It happens all the time. My example, not marriage, people buying houses. Mm. I'm seeing that a lot with my friendship circle, people trying to buy their first home. And then you do feel that intrinsic desire or that, that ping, that pang to, oh, maybe I should do that as well. Maybe I should. Yeah, it's a perpetuation of like a meme, isn't it? 
which is oh. a cultural idea, right? You know, getting oh, all Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins. <laughs> meta. Meta. Not Very the meme meta. that we're used to, team. Not no, the meme. Just no, this meme. is cultural memes. This is, this is memes from the ivory tower of the intellectual Richard Dawkins himself. You know, <laughs> these are high class memes. This is very, very intellectual. Speaking of intellectual, going from theory to to kind of practice, well, where where do you see this happening? What are some examples of, of kind of how that that works? Yeah, so like I think we've spoken about it before. The sporting team, like jumping from a team mm. to team, that you know sucks to doing well. And also, yeah. I think you said this before, which is like, why do you follow a certain team? Largely because your family. Like yeah. you are in, especially within it comes to AFL Australian rules football. It's like you're an Essendon family, you're a Collingwood family. If you literally go away from that, you are known as the ugly duckling. Everyone hates you. Um, but a more insidious one, mate, um, and getting your thoughts on this medicine. So like many medical procedures that were widely practiced, but are now actually disproven. And a really good example of this is from Leighton Rickers, who is the professor um, emeritus of surgery at University of Wisconsin. And that's tonsillectomy, removing tonsils. Like it helps some people but not all the scientific support was ever published around this. It worked for like one or two people. And I was like, okay, if you have this, remove your tonsils. But it turns out that's actually not the best methodology. Of course, antibiotics can actually help as well. And so, but that has perpetuated across time. So those are the two examples that I can think of. Really salient examples because I'm sitting here with my tonsils out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking that definitely applies. And the, the sports team one's also applicable, especially when you think of people who are probably more susceptible to this, and that's the the younger children and adolescents who are just more prone to being influenced by those around them and their environments because of the way their, their brains are still developing. And what what do kids do? They tend to jump on the popular kid team, the popular team, right? They're the flavor of the day. 100%. 100%. The flavor of the day. And, and like I'm thinking about this a little bit more, I was like, I think there's like maybe two or three reasons as to why or things like perpetuate this right which is winning like it's almost like Mm. an evolutionary advantage right you want to be on the side that wins victorious and so on but also belonging like we want to fit in um being excluded from the group you know well actually we that fear of exclusion leads us to adopt the beliefs and you know heuristics right i mean if everyone's doing that then we probably should do it as well we adopt that similar heuristic so it becomes quite um self-perpetuating and self-influencing our brain is uh, working against us by trying Don't to work do that, with brain. others. Come on, Don't brain. do it. Stop. doesn't work. doesn't work. But is there anything you can do to, to kind of counteract this inherent bias we have or anything you found? Yeah, I think when I was seeing those photos, so I think this is more like on a personal, again, we talk about journaling, we talk about self-reflection, but I think there's two salient questions to ask yourself when you catch yourself feeling that pressure, which is one, what do you want? And then asking that question of what do you want and then going through it, if you do see people buying a house and ask yourself, hey, why do you want it? And at least mm. you start to really go down the rabbit hole and justify it. If you have no reasons to do so, then it's probably something that you don't want, which resonates with the third question, which is, is why I want it because other people do or because I actually do? And I think those three, going through that rabbit hole really personally helped me, um, but it's aligned with what we talk about, which is cognitive appraisal, but just honestly using cognition as a means to actually dissect your, uh, let's call it, um, reflex and acute reactions so that you can observe them for what they are, not what they appear to be. Mm, it's almost as if that those questions, what do I want? Why do I want it? Is it because other people do it? Because I actually do is a metacognitive tool of getting mm. you kind of one layer above that fast instinctual processing of your brain to have a bit of a more holistic view of it. Theory of mind. Theory of mind indeed um, in certain ways. So effectively, as a bit of a summary, 
the bandwagon effect is something you've experienced. I've been experiencing recently where we feel this inherent pressure to follow along with the crowd. And there are so many instances where this happens from sports teams to life events, probably why a lot of people get married at the same time as their friends. Keeping up with the Joneses is actually a brain phenomenon. And you've kind of got those three questions that people can use that I think I might use too, which is what do I want? Why do I want it? And is why I want it because other people or because I actually do. Good summary. Look at us go. Just uh, Powering just active listening, all this vibe. Oh, and uh, uh, Chris that brings, up, brings Brain Bites 9 to another close. So if you liked what you're hearing and are loving some brain tools, you can always subscribe on Apple, on Spotify, uh, on all other platforms as well. Uh, pop-ups a five-star rating if you are enjoying it as well. Sam, is there anything else that people can do? Uh, no, just have a good day. Really, just have a good day. Put a smile on your dial. We'll see you in a little while. Okay, that's plagiarism. We're going to get caught. No, nah, don't do it. Don't do <laughs> okay, it. Okay, that's cut. We're cutting that one. Cutting that one. And right, we'll see you time. next week. Uh, thank you so much for listening to Brain Bites, and we'll uh, see you on the next episode.